This is an ICO Alert podcast. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Why would cryptocurrency be any different? Join me as we consider 2,500 years of the wisest human thought in history, philosophy, economics, and more to make better decisions and better investments in the future of cryptocurrency and blockchain. I'm Peter Kay, and this is Bitkinstein's Table. I'm the Director of Globalization at ICO Alert. The views expressed on this podcast are my own, or those of my guests, and not the views of ICO Alert or any other entity. Remember that none of this is specific financial advice. Don't base your decisions on it. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes, so I hope it helps you learn and enjoy life. Like the neighboring countries of Africa, Zimbabwe had a minority white government with a policy of segregation. One man, Robert, saw his black brothers and sisters mistreated in South Africa and Rhodesia. He began to speak up, he became an activist, and he was arrested for sedition and imprisoned for almost a decade. As the world political situation changed and calls for the man to be released grew louder, eventually the government of Rhodesia gave in and released him. It was a victory for human rights. The released man participated in negotiations that led to a peaceful agreement in his government. But soon, the agreement fell apart. And the activist took up arms in a violent massacre of the population that had supported his opponent. Approximately 20,000 people were killed. The man's name was Robert Mugabe, and the 1982-1985 massacre of civilians is now called Gukurahundi, or the early rain that washes away chaff before spring begins. Robert proceeded to steal billions of dollars from his own people over the next few decades. His wife lived in luxury in Paris, and his sons thrive in South Africa, but the people of Zimbabwe languish. Until 2017, he was president of Zimbabwe when a bloodless coup took power from his hands. He had been a hero for black people in Africa. He was an anti-colonialism liberator. But when he began to see victory, he became a villain, slaughtering thousands of the very people he had fought to set free. It's an iconic line from Christopher Nolan's penultimate Batman film. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Batman fans watching the movie all knew that these words were prophetic, as Harvey Dent, Gotham's white knight and crime-smashing district attorney, ended the movie and his life as the broken, insane villain, Two-Face. In the popular video game Far Cry 4, set in the fictitious Nepal-like country of Kirat. The player character Ajay Khale, or AJ Gale, must choose during the game between supporting one of two rebel leaders, 
the pragmatic rebel leader Amita, or the compassionate rebel leader Sabal, in the war against the horrifically cruel despot Pagan Min. Eventually, the player must kill one of these revolutionaries for the good of Kirat. But soon after, the player sees the surviving leader, the one he chose not to kill, become a new evil dictator to replace Pagan Min. At the end of the series, The Hunger Games, President Coriolanus Snow laughs uncontrollably as the hero Katniss, instead of shooting him, shoots the rebel leader who overthrew President Snow and his tyrannical regime. Why does Katniss do that? Because her own leader had become as great a tyrant as Snow was, even launching an attack on the rebels' own children to provoke the rebels to stronger action. Katniss's sister Primrose, the person she had volunteered as tribute to save back in Book One, died in the treacherous blast. This disguised attack for the purpose of motivating rebels is a move that I suspect occurs more often in today's Middle East than we would like to think. Harvey Dent, Sabal or Amita, Alma Coyne. In fiction, the rebelling hero often becomes the villain. And so, in history, Mugabe is not alone. The Tsars of Russia were brutal at times, and eventually the peasants rose up for their rights and their rebellion turned into a communist regime that killed tens of millions of peasants over the coming decades. Of course, the turn isn't always as severe as all that. Every president I can remember, from the first Bush onwards, has been accused of taking up the very positions he campaigned against. George Herbert Walker Bush's Read My Lips, No New Taxes became new taxes. And President Barack Obama's We Support Whistleblowers became a hunt for Edward Snowden. And of course, many of the presidents have compromised on the very issues that they were arguably elected for. Those who lead and promise revolutions of all kinds so often turn into the very thing they fought against. Why would cryptocurrency be any different? On Medium, I've talked about early influencers like Bruce Fenton and Nick Spanos. Fenton says, Quote, if you're not about revolution, you're in the wrong space. Spanos says, quote, if we don't free ourselves with blockchain, they are going to imprison us with blockchain. Crypto began as a revolution, but have many of the early revolutionaries taken on the traits of those they sought to replace, those they sought to overthrow? 
Many established, respected traditional financial firms in the world of finance grew rich by getting into things early and dumping on less privileged investors. With the growth of private money backing ICOs, isn't that what's happening in crypto right now? What's been happening over the past few months? And when cryptocurrency advocates claim a moral high ground, when addressing failures that burn through millions of dollars, don't those claims ring hollow when all of these scams, fraud, and pump and dump schemes are happening in the space? It is true that without such an outpouring of money, some things that seem too crazy or risky would just never be tried. Perhaps this Wild West is something we must take as a part of technological innovation. Is Bitcoin just like the early internet, which people thought was only for nerds and had few, if any, practical uses? Is it like James Watts's steam engine, which was the mighty herald of and force behind the Industrial Revolution? Is it like early Chinese rockets, which were used only for fireworks in warfare, but not fully developed for hundreds of years, when they ultimately started taking humans and their machines to other bodies of the solar system? Maybe. Maybe it is. Maybe we're just incredibly early. Perhaps we have development activity, like the internet, that seems nonsensical to outsiders, but eventually will dominate the world. Perhaps, like James Watts's steam engine, this clunky machine will revolutionize everything. Perhaps this flashy gimmick, like the early rockets, will turn into one of the most impressive technologies in history. But this revolution is delayed and undermined by those who strike it rich with coordinated schemes of duping and dumping on retail money. The cryptocurrency revolution is still real. I still believe in it. But despite the damage big government does, I'm more and more hopeful for some regulation in the space. Fewer people would be hurt, scammed, duped, taken advantage of. Crypto's reputation would improve, and adoption and general prosperity and revolution would be easier to usher in. This week's episode is short, because I don't yet want to name names. Also, my usual recording studio had some very loud jazz musicians performing outside last night, so I had to kind of rush things and delay the economics book review episode that I promised last week. That'll come next week instead. But think about it. What revolutionaries in cryptocurrency are turning against the people who supported their revolution? What leaders in the space are robbing their followers blind, leaving them holding worthless bags and the fading memory of promises of freedom and wealth? Question everything and everyone. I'm still an optimist about cryptocurrency, and you should be too. But just because I haven't yet been tragically scammed or dumped on myself doesn't mean I don't sympathize with friends and colleagues and strangers who have. The regulators will be portrayed as villains by those who could be punished for duping the public. When you hear a narrative that is overly fearful of regulation, think hard about who's telling that narrative. If you're concerned about regulation, which I am, 
I think that we need a lot of work to get reasonable, intelligent regulation instead of nonsensical, antiquated regulation, which will crush innovation. If you're concerned about regulation, you should donate to or promote Coin Center, an organization in Washington, D.C., that is working to guide regulators towards reasonable, intelligent regulation, or support an equivalent organization in your own country. But though it must be educated, reasonable regulation, I'm no longer scared of regulation. Bring it on. To reach adoption, we need to improve crypto's reputation. To inspire cryptocurrency fans and advocates, we can't continually dump on them. When our heroes become the villains, we need to recognize it and leave them behind. In 2017, Mugabe's government in Zimbabwe underwent a bloodless coup. No one opposed the transition of power. There was no war, there was no battle, there was no struggle. The world just left Robert Mugabe behind as a president with a dubious history that no one cared about any longer. If your heroes become villains, leave them behind. And if you're a hero in the crypto space, don't become the villain. As hard as it is, always be vigilant not to become the thing you rallied against, or we'll just end up with more of the same. Thanks for listening. This is a crossover episode with the ICO Alert podcast. That won't happen forever, so if you enjoy Bitkenstein's Table, please subscribe. I built this podcast on the end I wanted to reach, maximizing your happiness, your thoughtfulness, your inquisitiveness, and your cautious optimism about the future. If I improved your day, please help out by leaving a review on iTunes or SoundCloud. Bitkenstein's Table and the music on it are researched, written, recorded, and produced by me, Peter Kay, with the exception of the original theme song by Joseph Dickinson, and music listed in the show notes. Some passages this week are inspired by Danny Elfman's Batman theme, James Newton Howard's The Hanging Tree from The Hunger Games, Rachmaninoff's third piano concerto, my own song Gukuro Hundi, and the Soviet and American national anthems. I'm on Twitter and Medium as Bitkenstein, and I want to hear from you, especially if you have a cryptocurrency that you would like to discuss the philosophy of. Next week will be a summary and response to a book on economics I've been reading, and how we've been creating money out of thin air for thousands of years, and for most of that time, letting banks of various kinds build and crash the system again and again. Will cryptocurrency finally end the cycle? Next week on Bitkenstein's Table, the Crypto Philosophy Podcast. Music